Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's Kayla. I'm so happy you're able to join us today because we are all still so directionally challenged. We thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. And that's okay. Today, we're going to talk about how to never stop daring to dream really big fucking dreams and how it's not going to be easy. But living the dream one story at a time as a filmmaker is something that Nadine Crocker, our guest today, does all the time. She is a director, writer, actress, producer. Her latest film, Desperation Road, is in theaters now starring Mel Gibson, Garrett Hedlund, and Willa Fitzgerald. She talks about filmmaking and how throughout the process she also dealt with mental health struggles. So listen carefully to this episode. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the lovely Nadine Crocker. Um, okay, and I'm here with Nadine Crocker. I'm so honored and happy and excited to talk to you. We've already just began talking off mic. We said, let's just push record. Um, you know, we all love movie making. Our listeners love movie making. I love movie making. You know, come to think of it, I don't know a single soul who doesn't love movie making. It's such a thrill when it all comes together, but there is so much required for it to all come together. And you are someone who writes, directs, acts, produces. I mean, you are a multi, multi hyphenate and you do it all yourself. So we have yet to do an episode about what it takes through the, take us through the entire process from the conception of an idea 
to the premiere night that you're sitting in the theater and all of your hard work has come to fruition. I mean, I think there's so much more that goes into this than people who aren't in the industry understand. So do this episode for those who are fascinated by the industry, but have yet to truly understand it. Um, because I think there is just so much here to unpack. There is. And it's so funny, like, you know, half of my favorite thing of like these beautiful conversations with women in our industry and, you know, getting to connect with you is like, it's kind of like the funnest thing of not knowing how it's all going to unfold and what the conversation. And as you were just speaking, like so much stuff was flashing. And I was just speaking to someone about this. I'm like, I feel like so many people don't understand what the industry is actually like. Like they think, because we've made it like, okay, now she's making millions of dollars and she's doing this, that, and the other. And you're like, um, no, like we're still struggling just as much. It's just like, it's just, we've made it that much closer to the end goal. And like, even getting there is pretty much a miracle. So like, we have to like embrace those, you know, but like all of it, I think that, I think if people could see behind the curtain, they'd have like a different level of respect for filmmakers, especially, you know, because it's like, it can come down to like, oh, that ending or, oh, this or that, or, you know, critics reviews or whatever, whatever it is. And like only the people who were there and went through the PTSD of creating it fully understand like everything that it takes, you know? And so it's so funny. It's such a good point because there are so many times, you know, everyone's a critic of film. Everyone, everyone in their own has an opinion on the film and they're supposed to. But every time I'm shooting a scene, I think to myself, no one's going to know that the baby woke up twice last night and you got three hours of sleep. No one's going to know that it is, you know, minus three degrees outside right now and you are in a short skirt. No one's going to know. And it's true because they're, that's the magic of movie making. No one knows what it went through. But then let's pull that curtain back. What has been some of the hardest um, work you have had to do that has gone unseen. Um, let's take your movie out right now, which is fantastic. By the way, I watched it last night, knowing we were going to have this conversation and the, uh, I just the, uh, was in tears. And for our listeners, if you want to watch a film that makes you appreciate everything you have and makes all the hard work worth it, I highly recommend Nadine's film out right now. It is desperation road. And, um, I just talk to us about what the, you know, so much went into that, what I was struck by how many production companies were involved with a single film. So I can't imagine how do you get people on board for it? And what was the hardest part of all of that? I mean, <clears throat> Desperation Road is a particularly hard film as it is because, um, you know, people see the people that are in it and they assume it's like this large budget. I had 16 days to make the movie that you just saw. So I made that in 16 days and of our of our large budget. I don't normally tell this, but I feel like I, I with the purpose behind what this episode, what you just said, like for the people out there, like I was given a very small number of that, like astronomically small number to actually create the film so when you see this film and you like you know and it makes me giggle too like and I'm going to start from the beginning process too just to like unfold it but you know like someone told me that there was this I don't read reviews I don't do it 
because I just have to make the film that I believe in. And then you have to let it go because like you said, everyone has an opinion. No one knows exactly what it took, you know, all of the things. But someone told me that someone said like of Fargo and true romance, this is the lesser of the two. And I was like, what? Like, and and this isn't to be like, but I was like, well, those are like, huge budget films made by some of the biggest filmmakers in the world with some of the biggest stars in the world in a completely different time of filmmaking when like money was different and budgets were different. And I had 16 days and a million dollars. What are you talking? Like, what do those movies have to do with me? I think that's actually a huge compliment to even be compared to, you know, a budget that's probably 10 times what you had. Truly. I mean that. And so take us from the beginning. I mean, it's based off of a book, right? Did you read the novel and then buy the rights to it? Talk to us about the very beginning of it, because so many of our listeners write in all the time about filmmaking. And I think the hardest part is getting it off the ground. Yeah, yeah. So with Desperation Road in particular, um, Cassie and Elways, who had been an EP on my first film, Continue, which still isn't out. So that's why I say, like, I've had a journey and like, there's so much you can learn from. Like, but let's start with the film we're talking about now. So he brought me the script. I am um, I'm very precious with what I I attach my passion to, because as many people in the industry know, especially for us mothers and women here, whatever we give our voice to means that we're giving up like a year of our life from the people we love and we're going all in on the story. So before I attach to anything, I basically do so much homework to make sure that that's where my heart is. And so I read the script several times. I read the book and then I had extensive thoughts and was like, all right, now is meeting the writer, like because that's a relationship. And I knew that the writer was was hoping to stay on as a producer and be a part of the process. So that meant like this is a very this is going to be a very collaborative relationship. Like basically, I need to know that this is a collaboration I think that will flourish and do well. And so I knew that it was going to be a really important collaboration. So me and him, me and Michael Ferris Smith, who wrote the novel and wrote the first draft of the script, sat down and I came in with like probably like 10 pages of notes of like, all right, these are the things that are really important to me. These are the things that I'm extremely passionate about. These are the things that I don't agree with. These are, this is everything. And he was so receptive and he took every note I had. He agreed with everything I brought to the table. And it was so, it was a really beautiful collaboration and relationship. And so I was like, okay, this is someone I really want to work with, you know, and Cassian and I had been looking for a project to work on together and he had brought me a few things and they just weren't right for me at the time. So this was like, okay, this is it. This is the one. And so then started the process. And like what a lot of people don't know is that like, especially when you, you know, come on to things to like produce and direct and da da da. It's very different than like if it's an already financed film and I'm kind of like a director for hire and I just come on to a project. But I knew that this was to produce alongside Cassian and that this was going to be an investment of time and energy to help get it off the ground, much like, you know, my other films. Then became the process of like, you know, 
working for free in the dark, in the shadows, the work that most people don't know exists, which is like months of rewriting and working on the script with Michael and and finding the balance and getting the script ready. Then me making my lookbooks that I always make for any project before we go to talent. Then me writing, I write very passionate letters to anyone that we're going to. I don't, I don't go out to anyone without telling them specifically why I think that they're spectacular and why this is the film for them. And, you know, then all of the process that unfolds after that. And, you know, one of the things, you know, that I always love to tell is like from the second I read it, I knew Garrett Hedlund was the person that had to play the role. And I had been looking for something for a long time. He's really is mesmerizing to watch because, and I had been such a big fan of his before we ever even were brought together on this project because as a director, one of the things like, and just as a human being, I am extremely attracted and drawn to vulnerability. Like, I love it. Like, you'll meet me and I'm like, hey, should we talk about like our darkest, deepest like trauma and like bond and like be best friends for the rest of our lives? Like, I'm just like, let's get, let's be real, you know? And he was so game. But here's what's fascinating about all the characters in Desperation Road, which as you can tell, for those who haven't seen it yet, that's that are listening, everyone, there's a lot of the characters are in this place of desperation, specifically the two leads. But the performances were so fantastic because there is zero victim in any of them. And so uh, one of my questions, and this is skipping ahead, but we'll, we'll, we'll come back to the process as well. But one of the questions I'd love to ask you is as a director, what is your approach and how do you do you think being an actor for so many years has helped you in your directing style? Yeah, I, I think that I think that acting is kind of what led me. I mean, it's always in my bones and it's always behind there, you know, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know how a lot of other directors work, but I know that for me, it kind of all starts with absorbing the script, almost like I did as an actor. And then all of a sudden, all this flood of backstory comes to me. And like, for me, I'm story above all else. So like, first will come the story notes or things like that. And knowing that it's like, that it has all of the flavors it needs to be an incredible film. But then diving into the characters and what drives them and all of that, it's almost like I still prep it as an actor. And you don't know if the other actors are going to like absorb those things that you give them or, you know, how we'll adapt and go. And it's like, well, I'll give ideas and they give ideas and we're building it together, you know. But I almost feel like so much of, as I've been looking back and prepping now for my next film, I'm I'm like realizing that so much of my work as a director really comes in all of the meetings before I even get to set, like we have had such in-depth like conversations with every actor. I've spent time alone with every single person to like get to know them, to earn that trust, to grow that, that trust and relationship. And to, you know, I try and bring every, on every set like this, family dynamic you know basically like where I'm asking I mean most of my films are pretty heavy or have very heavy you know subject matters so I it's first and foremost like making sure that they understand who I am as a person and that like I I will always be there to catch you if you fall and like I I am here and we build and then the trust and then it's really given them a safe place to try new things and there is no right or wrong and and then you know 
but that's, but then that's when it's like you do all that prep and then you kind of throw it all away and let it all unfold. And like, you know, you watch how the little whispers in their ear in between or the little questions you ask, how that manifests something new. And that's the magic. That's when you actually get to the performances we have here. And, and, and it's through collaboration. It's through not my way is the way and not it's finding it together. It's finding the balance. It's making discoveries together. It's not being, you know, I, I believe I think that there's some people that are like the director's way is the way. And I believe all things like I am only as good as all of my collaborators. I am only as strong as my production designer is and, and the much as I trust them to like do their job. And I am only as strong as the actors and like they embody it. So I might have an idea, but they embody it. They, they become. So who am I to be like, no, that is not what they think, you know? So it's like all of it is a very beautiful discovery and collaboration and like, so that's what I feel like I really pride myself on is is making sure that everyone feels like they're on the same level and everyone understands that their voice is really, really important and that, you know, that I want everyone to feel heard, be heard. And I I hire people that I believe in so that I don't have to like suffocate them and keep control and like keep my hands on the reins you know it's like what a what an overwhelming process that would be if I also had to micromanage every person I work with because you're already don't have enough time or days or anything to you know it's like that trust comes between all of us you know hey guys we're gonna take a quick break we'll be right back in just a minute Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every moment of tension, real or imagined, were under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for the brothers of the House of Windsor, Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, but that all began to crack as they each married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. I'm Matt Ellison. And I'm Sydney Battle. And we're the hosts of Wondery's podcast, Dis and Tell, where we unpack pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds. We recently looked into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than just these two brothers. It stretches back all the way to the history of the British monarchy, and it's a battle for who will shape its future. Did their feud stem from the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Dis and Tell on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Dis and Tell early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. And we're back. And this takes us back to what you were talking about in the beginning, you know, all of that prep work that it goes unpaid so that when you get to set, it does run smoothly and the relationships are solidified and everyone trusts, okay, if you think that this is what's supposed to happen, I trust you, let's go, right? We're all on that ride together. So how, let's talk about how you get a film like this financed because you have huge huge actors in this film and it's an amazing story it's a huge undertaking you know there's there's a lot uh, to this this is not a simple film to make so how do you do you go in and pitch do you pull in all your resources from all the years do you do both I mean what is that process like it's got to be exhausting and again a huge part of this unseen work that goes into this yeah, I mean, I will say thank God for Cassian and Cassian is, is you know, for anyone who's listening who doesn't really know who Cassian always is, he was an executive producer on Dallas Buyers Club. He was the producer of Mudbound. He, a lot of films that people don't, might not know as well, but Blue Valentine, he was the main producer on, which is one of my favorite films of all time, you know, Ain't Them Body Saints. Like, so he is really the indie king and he, he has so many relationships. So once we got the cast on, that's when we financed the film through like international sales and all of those different things. We worked with a great company, Capstone, and we worked with, you know, a lot of incredible companies that helped us put this together and Walter Jolston. And, you know, so we had a lot of incredible people who helped us to make this all possible. So, yeah, it wasn't as it wasn't as painful. Let me just say that I raised every dime of capital and invested my life savings on my first film continue. So that was like 
painful, you know, with Cassian's help. It was like such a beautiful process to be like, oh, you have a, a million years in this industry and have like a lot of people you can go to once we have Mel Gibson and Garrett Hedlund and all of these people, you know, so it was a lot easier process once you get the cast. But it's also the process of, you know, from script to attachments to you know, how long actors take to read and and you have dates and you're you're like trying to, you know, it's like a balancing act. Like you're, you basically pretend like it's happening. You don't know if it's actually going to happen. You put all your eggs in that basket. Like I'm spending my own money to go scout in Mississippi so that I'm ready. It's like, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. And then you don't have enough that like time or days like I I didn't find out that I only had 16 days till I was on the flight there. And <sighs> yeah. And I probably would have jumped off. No, <laughs> you know, being the word producer holds so much glamour behind it. And the idea of being a producer feels so the end all be all. A lot of people, oh, I'd love to produce movies. What is very difficult to understand is how much goes into it and what the what the day to day of a producer on set is. It's essentially a problem solver, figuring everything out. And there are multiple problems, multiple things that arise all the time, such as being on the airplane and figuring out you have 16 days. That's bananas in the world of film. So how do you take that stress and then channel it into something like Desperation Road? That's incredible. Well, I mean, yeah. So and just for the people who are listening, like just to put it into perspective a little bit, like 16 days might not sound completely bonkers to you. But like, you know, majority of films have like 60 days and like maybe 40 days. I mean, things are in this industry changing. So there, I feel like it isn't rare to hear that people are doing it in the same time. But I had a minor every day on set. So you can't work more than eight hours. I had two car crashes. I had a sexual assault. I have like five storylines of each character and an ensemble piece that you have to follow the storyline all the way through. So these are all things that are pretty much impossible to do in 16 days. And somehow we did, you know, so it's like it's it's pretty it was crazy. It basically became it became like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like salvage mode. Like, OK, how do I actually make this attainable? And it was like the second I got on on the ground there, I was location scouting. I worked, you know, so like, again, this is to put things into perspective of like how glamorous people think. And like when you get to a certain level, well, when you're starting out, that's not the level that you're at. So I worked 20 hour days. I lost like 10 pounds. I hadn't slept in months and I only had three weeks prep because Mel had hard dates. He had to be out by. And so I only got to prep for three weeks, which is impossible when you scouted an entire movie in Mississippi and one week before, I mean, and like, yeah, two weeks before we were starting production, they moved us to Kentucky. So I had the entire movie scouted in Mississippi and then the week, two weeks before I get moved to Kentucky. And so now I'm on the ground finding every location for the first time, only have three weeks to prep it. And I only have 16 days to shoot it. And I have you know, a very limited funds to do it. So for me, this is where years of trauma in my life come in really handy because I have a six fighter play, <laughs> apparently, because that's when something else takes over and you go, there is no more, there is no complaining and there is no nothing. It's go. And, and that is not made for everyone. There were definitely people of my crew that I felt like 
I was a little worried we weren't going to make it through the stress and trauma of like production. And that's what it is. Like anyone who tells you differently is lying. Like (laughs) production is a form of trauma and you just, you have to keep moving. You have to go one foot in front of the other. And you may have planned this huge thing. And then you're like, well, how do I take this big vision I created and condense it down to a 16 day thing and make sure that I don't lose anything or I still make a film that I'm proud of. And so for me, I went the relationships and the performances. I cannot have all the bells and whistles I was going to have. I can't have all these fancy shots. But if I, but what I can do is make sure every shot that I do get is beautiful and that every single shot that I do get is telling you, is moving the story forward, is telling you about the relationships and is telling you who these people are. And I had done so much work on the characters ahead of time, like to make Larry into someone I feel like is a, like, again, he was a very unlikable person in the script originally and in the book. And to me, it was like, how do I make sure that no matter how flawed an individual is, we can still connect with them? I think that I think that writing anyone off is just like unlikable is kind of like a lazy way of being like they don't matter, but everybody matters and everybody should matter. And we are all are flawed individuals. Maybe we could teach someone something about a person who's struggling if I do more work on him, you know, so he became my mental health, my addiction, my, you know, trauma, like character. And so then, of course, I could really relate to him. And, and you know, I gave him suicidal ideation and all of these different things so that hopefully their empathy, they could understand him in a different level. So I just put my focus in other places. So that is to say, like, if you find out you're on a flight and you want to jump out the window and you hear you have 16 days, it is up to you as the leader to go, okay, this is a pivot. This is different than I expected it, but how do I still do what I need to do and what I plan to do? Because you can either quit, which is not in my vocabulary. I've never, I, I just won't. Or you can step up and go, what do I do now? And you change your tactics. So, you know, what did I do then? I worked 20 hour days and I asked for a second camera as I wasn't sure we were going to make it through the whole production on that schedule with one camera. And then I worked you know, I, I, I'm like, I probably shouldn't say this. The DGA is going to be like, excuse me. I worked two units. They didn't have a second unit director and I wasn't going to let people go out without a director I had chose. So I was the director. So I worked my five to five. So I'd work from 5 PM till five in the morning, our normal overnights. And then I'd start the next morning at like 8 AM with the second unit and go until I had to be on the normal set at five. So it was bonkers. I, mean, I aged 10 years and <laughs> like I came back like, Oh my goodness, you know. But you grew yeah. so much in life experience. And, you know, it's interesting because I've heard you bring up Continue. And I really would love to talk about that as well. That's another film that you have coming out this year that you shot first because doesn't always, you know, a lot of times a lot goes into, especially with, you know, these smaller financial films that a lot goes into even having them bought and financed. And I'd love for you, if you feel comfortable sharing, you know, the story of that film with our listeners, because I know you pulled so much from your own life experience. And what I really want people to understand is most of the time, people who have gone through, who haven't just, you know, lived on a cloud their whole life and been fluffed and everything is great. They're the ones who really triumph in life. And it's interesting you bring up pivoting because we've found on this podcast 
every single individual who is highly successful is adaptable and able to pivot. And so for you to bring that up on your own is just a testament to your success because that is what life is. And being able to be flexible enough to just fucking handle it no matter what comes your way. So Continue is going to be released later this year. It is based on your personal life story. And so if you would love to share that a little bit of that trauma and that experience with our listeners, I think they can really learn from that. Yeah. I mean, so with Continue in particular, it is about my true life story of surviving a suicide attempt when I was 23. You know, if I'm honest, there was a lot of attempts and there was a lot of darkness in my 20s. In my later 20s, I got sober and I and I changed my whole life. And through that, I'd always had this really deep burning to to tell my story because the worst thing about suicide suicidal ideation and depression is feeling completely alone and feeling like a burden and all of these in these stories we invent in our mind of like how people will be better off and this and that and the other and so from that came this story that I knew I had to tell and no one was really ready for me to tell it. Like, first of all, they didn't think anyone wanted to talk about mental health. B, they didn't think anyone would like some of the twists and turns that I have. So I had to fight really hard. Like I was offered more money if I would change some things about the film, which I wouldn't. And so I made it in a very down and like homegrown way. And I raised every dime of the capital myself. I invested in my life savings. And, I, you know, a lot of people... Well, maybe they know this now because I've done a couple of interviews, but the film hasn't come out. So not on a wider aspect to know that I ended up having to move in with my parents for the first time since I was 15 during COVID because I had invested our life savings. And then now all these new expenses for the movie came up and it was like, okay, well, we either keep our very nice place in LA, which my rent is more than my sister and my mom's mortgage, parents' mortgage put together, or I, you know, and so I chose the film. I chose, and and thank God, but this is where I come back to that pivot, right? And like, I, I want to go more into continued story, but the reason I bring the pivot back to it is like, the one thing I've discovered from that film is that every single setback felt like failure and it felt like rejection and it really fucking hurt (laughs) okay but every single one of them now sitting in this chair looking you in the eyes understands why every single one of them happened and they led me somewhere else to a better outcome and so like even down to how the film's released I was supposed to have the movie out in August, the strike started. I'm in every frame of that movie. So I couldn't promote it as a director because I am SAG before I'm ever DGA. So I had to hold that movie back. And and sh- sure, I could have tried for an interim agreement and all of those things, but I was already trying to get one of those for Desperation Road, which I had that the studio was putting that out. I had no there's not a choice in that. It's like, yeah, we already had a date. The fact that the strike happened and messed up that date really isn't anybody's fault other than That's the way the cookie crumbles. So I held back my film. My second one ends up beating my first one out. But now because of that, I have found an even better home for Continue. And I I can't officially say all the things yet. But like all I can say is that it's a better outcome than I could have ever dreamt of for that film. And it's with a much bigger company than like, and so it's all the ways that, that we don't know in the moment are going to happen. What it really feels like is you're just being punched in the gut by the universe. And what we don't realize is that sometimes 
things are either working for us or against us, right? And so how is this working for me is the new way that I look at things. And so even down to like, right, this is one thing I'll use and as, as an example that's been life-changing for me is that even down to when I didn't get into the big festivals with Continue, I was very close, but because of the pandemic, it was a very weird years of like of studio films at festivals and like it was just a weird situation and a lot of indies that probably would have succeeded years prior like weren't it like needed a perfect storm in the middle of the pandemic to get into a a festival and blah 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 so I ended up at a smaller festival which I'm so grateful I love everyone I met there I love the festival all of those things this is all positive but I meet a a filmmaker there that he and I both have mental health stories and he's incredible Tony Gavistone and he I have to give him a shout out. Last Chance Charlene, love him. We met through our projects of mental health. Had I never gone to that festival, I would have never met him. And through being friends with him and going to lunch with him, I told him how Robbie Brenner, who Dallas Buyers Club producer, Barbie, I mean, doesn't get bigger or better than her. She's been on every vision board forever for me because that was like my goal. Uh, Because I heard of her loyalty. She stays on projects for like 30 years. And I told him she was on my vision board. And later that evening, without any knowledge of this, he connected me to her. And so again, I could have gone to a different festival. I could have done all of these different things. But instead, I ended exactly where I was meant to. And through Tony, I was connected with the person who's changed my whole life. And she helped me get through Desperation Road. I mean, it was like... It was very bonkers there for a minute and I like needed reassurance and I could call her every day and and she was just an incredible force for me. And now I have two films with her and I'm about to leave for a film she's been attached to. Again, the exact loyalty that made me obsessed with her. I'm about to go direct a film that she has been trying to create for 25 years. And like, and I'm working and Mark Forster and her are producing it together. And and I so I feel so incredibly lucky. And then now she's producing my opus, which is my movie Dear Son, which is about my son. And Anyway, so that is all to say, again, pivoting, you have no idea how things are working for you, even though it feels like you're getting punched in the, you know, you know what. (laughs) And so going back to the process of like when you're in it, it's uh, it's hard, man. You don't know that that's going to be the outcome. It just feels like rejection or it just feels like pain. And so for that movie in particular, it was like put my it was like my first child and I put everything into it. And I had a lot of hardship to create Continue. You know, it's a very heavy film. It's very heavy subject matter. And I was an actress and a lot of people weren't ready for me or weren't ready to see me in this new way as a a writer and a director. And a lot of people didn't read the script and do this. But it but again, it it created something burning inside of me. Like, I'm glad that that happened exactly in that way because it made me go, I'm done asking for permission. I'm doing it myself then. And I raised every dime and I did all of that. And I took my power back essentially. And, and, and through that, had I never done a movie like Continue, which was like bonkers and like never ever been behind the camera other than like PA work and production design and blah, blah, blah. blah. But I've never directed anything, not even a short. So I was like, you know, here I go. And and had I never been through that and having to wear 900 hats and do everything for that film, I would have never survived a 16 day shoot with Mel Gibson looking at me for answers. And I'm like, <laughs> I have like five hours to do 17 scenes with you right now, you know, and it's just like, but because I had done it in a homegrown way before, I feel like <laughs> trauma <laughs> essentially from that shoot. I understood like, all right, 
you know, and, and what I'm learning now is like, it's all about pivoting. It's all about, and, and no matter what, like now my budget has grown exponentially from even my last one, but the problems don't feel any different. So that's what people need to like realize is like, and, and I feel like I say this a lot, but like you will never have enough time. You will never have enough days because as you grow and your budgets grow, so does your vision. So does what you want to do with that, you know? So it's like, as to where I might've been like before, like, oh, if I could just get 25, I'm like, okay, if I could only get 35, I have a crane and like seven of these shots and I need this and I need a hell, you know, a helicopter for that crazy FBI, like this whole car chase at the end. And, you know, it's like, it's just growing. Like, do you know if you're going to get a helicopter or the crane for every trip? No, but you got to do what you can. And then you pivot once you don't get the, what the hell you wanted for that vision, you know? So it's like, we're all just going to continue growing and evolving. So your problems are always going to be there. Cause I'm, it's like, I say this and, you know, I've, I've used this as an example before Christopher Nolan doesn't not feel stress when he's operating at the highest level. He's making atomic bombs and blowing things up. He's he's working with one airplane hanging, crashing into an airplane hangar and tenant. Like he still has problems. And I guarantee he still goes, shit, what's going to happen here? You know, it's like, so you're never. So that's where I always go back to myself. I'm like, I don't feel bad for you. You're living your dreams. Figure it out. <laughs> you know, like get your ass up. You are not a victim here. You have a million dollars to make this in 16 days. How are you going to do it? You know, because all the money went somewhere else. So like, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Go, you know. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. 
And it is so important, the mental capacity you have to handle something like this. And I think, you know, it's something as simple as what you're saying, having a slogan, like, how is this helping me? How is this working for me? It's just that mental state of, okay, you can focus on everything that went wrong and the fact that you have to completely move states two weeks before you start shooting. Or you can focus on what's working for me. How can I make this work for me? And that alone is the key to success and handling stress like that and, you know, life experience in general. And listen, anyone listening, if you're not in the film industry, you have fucking stress too. You have a lot going on too. So this is, this applies to everyone in their life. And no matter what your job is, no matter where you're from, who you are, there it, it really is truly how you handle it all. And I, I want to make sure we touch on continue and how it is about suicide prevention. And part of the proceeds go to a charity to support mental health and suicide prevention. What helps? How did you choose what to support and how can we continue that support? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it was like, I understand movies are about making money. So I knew in order for it to have like a charity aspect, I had to be able to put my money where my mouth was. So all of my points from writing the project, I decided would go to charity And so I am working to choose the charities they'll go to, but at the exact same time as, because now we're finally in release mode, but I created my own nonprofit. So as of like last week, I officially now have the continue on organization, which will coincide with the film. And so congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Wow. That's been my lifelong dream. So the fact that I actually figured it out is like kind of like next level to me because it was always a dream to create my own nonprofit to coincide with the film but it takes a lot of money and a lot of different things to create it and I found again the universe led me to the right people to make this possible to do it in the way that we have and so now I have and all of my films have a level of impact attached to them like if I wrote them then I have a charity aspect of it you know so sometimes it's hard like you know a film like Desperation Road I didn't write that film so I didn't go into it in particular having the different you know and and I also didn't have necessarily the same control as the ones that I write I produce I create but all of the films that I write have a of a level of charity and my next film dear son is mental health suicide prevention alzheimer's and i have another project about domestic abuse and uh, sexual assault survivors so i have so many things i'm i'm passionate about but it's really creating impacts through my stories and through using my trauma to help and being honest about my trauma to try and help other people who have also experienced that you know so that's that's it i'm i'm hoping that my nonprofit it'll start by just creating other impact projects and elevating more stories of mental health with the overall goal once i get real donations behind it and real money raised. I want to create a subsidy that helps our youth get mental health services because I recently was looking into a psychiatrist and realized that pretty much everywhere in Los Angeles is anywhere from $600 to $800 per one session and just immediately was like, who can afford that? Who and what? Like, especially youth. And I'm so I'm like looking at that and I have like friends who are going through like their children transitioning and like all of these different things. I'm like, so the highest statistics in suicide and the highest rates of suicide have the least means possible, especially since it's like ages nine through 27. Now explain to me how on earth they're supposed to get those services that they need and how on earth we can curb the suicide rates and, or let them feel supported. So for me, it's like, that's my dream, but 
also to do that, I need millions of dollars of donations. So for me, it was like, it starts with my films. If a percentage of every film I ever make goes into this thing, I'm going to create my subsidy. It doesn't matter how long it takes me to get there. Basically, I just have to keep making movies because through those movies and those those profits, I will be able to change the world. And that's what I want to do. Use my art to make an impact for the fleeting moment I get on this planet. And so, yeah, with Continue in particular, you know, I feel like as much as it felt like the pandemic actually screwed me, (laughs) like it was like, why? I finally made it. And this is like what happened. I actually think the pandemic opened everybody's eyes to realize it is not just the select few of traumatized individuals who have suicidal ideation. It's everybody, everywhere, people we know, people we do not know are struggling, people who seem like the strongest people we know have the exact same pain and and we just all don't talk about it, you know? So I feel like people have opened up in a huge way of like, okay, this is a conversation we need to have. And, you know, so for me, my art is a way that I, the way in which I use the vessel of trying to change the yeah, world. It's you know? a pathway to light and what an imprint you've already had and will continue to have. And because we've addressed, you know, suicide ideation and, and all of that, I would just love to touch for a moment when you found yourself in that time, if for anyone listening who can relate or is having thoughts similar, what is it that helped you get through it? What it, what was your what changed your path? I mean, it's so hard because I think it's I think it's a lot of things. Right. But I will say, I mean, so for me personally, sobriety changed my life. It, you know, again, I can't speak for every person, but what I can say for me personally is I had always used alcohol kind of as a way from hiding from my mind, you know, and, and from trying to run from things you can't run from. They they're they're inside they're internal you know so it's like wherever you go there you are there is no running exactly that's what I always try and say is like you know at forever for however long that works for you that's great but there will be a day where you run into you you know and and it's there and so for me sobriety changed everything because I now longer had something to hide behind I had to actually look at the pain that I was trying to run from and or you know deal with. So that was like a big first step, you know, for anyone who's listening, who's like struggling, like a depressant is not very helpful for depression, you know, and it took a long time for me to realize that. But but more so than anything, like as I get a lot of outreach now, a lot of outreach from parents who are worried for their children and or, you know, people who are struggling. And the truth is it all starts with you. And I. I realized I wanted to live and I was willing to go through any means possible to live. And that meant for me cutting people out of my life that I love. It meant doing the hard thing of getting sober. It meant going to therapy twice a week. It meant, you know, trying medication to see if that helped. It meant opening up to the people that are close to me and telling them that I that I was struggling, that I had to make different choices. You know, there is a lot of different things you can do. And the truth of the matter is only you can do them. And so if you are feeling that way right now is all you can do is put one foot in front of the other and make the choice that you want to live and then take the actions to do that. And it might not always be easy, but that's where you can lean on the people who love you 
and that you can be open with. And if you don't feel that you have that, then find someone professional, call the text, the the 1-800 hotline or the text hotline. I've, I've texted with them before. I actually started volunteering with them to be the person on the other phone of the text. Like there are people, if you are someone who doesn't have a lot of people, I also know that feeling. I, you know, a lot of my younger years were alone. So there are people that you don't even know out there that are willing to help to make sure that you're okay. It just starts with taking the actions and making the decision for yourself. Your character in Desperation Road has a line and she says some people, no, not everybody has somebody. And I wondered if that was something that you took from your own life and life experience because it resonated on a level of such uh, deep understanding of what that character was going through. And it was there's so much in that movie, but that line in, in particular really stuck out for me. Is that something you put in that film? You know, I always go back and forth because what's funny is that you said that is that is the line that is the thesis of the movie to me. So I I tell I tell everybody that like so the fact that you caught on to that means like, you know, my heart, you you felt it. You felt that line because it, it's two lines in particular. Not everybody has somebody is the line that made me want to tell the story. And then when Garrett's character says it's like we're we're tied together by some invisible rope led by what hand I don't know and like so he goes into that and it's like so there's two things there to me it's like how we're all connected and like somehow we don't sometimes we don't even know how but like there is something beyond us working you know like it's just it's just clear if you've been through something like I have like you know, surviving a suicide attempt and then standing here today at 35 years old with a six-year-old son that is my entire heart and pride and joy and a wife and all of these things I never thought I would be. And yet here I am. So we can, we can do things we have no idea that we're capable of, you know? So, but yeah, that line in particular, and I don't know if it was Michael or if it was me. We've been through so many like rewrites and things together. I think it, but if you want to know my honest to God opinion, I think it was already there because I think it's the line that made me go, that's what this film is about. That is, so how do we construct every single thing to show that? How do I show their struggle? And like the number one thing that was important to me with that film was like, the really the reason I wanted to go on the journey was the mother-daughter relationship. So it was like, without that, what are we doing here? You know, it was like how when the when life just can't doesn't stop beating you down, like, what do you do? You know, especially when you have nowhere to turn. You have so much to share. And I'm so grateful that we got a snippet of you before you continue to expand and just, you know, thrive. And I'm so grateful that you came today to share with us, you know, taking the curtain back, really what it takes, because it's so easy to talk about success. And it's not so easy to talk about everything it takes to get there. And I'm really grateful. And you are just fantastic. I'm so excited for this episode to come out. So, uh, Needy, thank you. Uh, truly, thank you so much. And for those listening, we will have, you know, the hot suicide hotline in our show notes. It's called Text Crisis Hotline, and it's like a red font. You'll see they have like the perfect thing. I put it in my movie and too, you know, where it's like 1-800 number, and then they have the Text Crisis Hotline now, which I feel like people are, because of our day and age, People are way more likely to text and say all this vulnerable shit than they are to like actually speak it aloud. So I think that both of those are really, really great resources. Perfect.
Any last little tidbit of advice you can give to someone listening who has a story to tell and wants to have it made and feels that it is that the world needs to hear it? My word of advice to you is that someone, something whispered that in your ear for a reason, which means you are supposed to tell it. And this is one thing I say to people all the time. It doesn't mean you're the only person that it was whispered to. The answer is who will have the drive and the strength to see it all the way through. And if you have that burning desire, there will be a thousand reasons not to sit down and do it. There'll be a thousand reasons not to write the play, scripts, whatever it is, not to take the time. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I can't tell you how often I hear it. And the truth is, is if you want it, you can create it. I mean, I'm living proof. Like I I say this five years ago, I was serving tables and the lead of my movie who I hadn't offered out to came in the restaurant. I'm like, God damn it. Hiding in the back. Like I'm about to meet this person next week and you're they're in my restaurant. I'm a waitress. I don't want them to see me as a waitress. I want them to see me as a director. So like the truth is, is like I am no different than you. All of these people who are here doing what they love, they're no different. It's it's taking action. It's not waiting. No, it's never going to be easy. It's never going to fall into your lap. But do you have that burning desire? Do you have the strength? And do you sit down and actually do it? Like that's the difference between me and a lot of people in my orbit. When I get a script idea, I sit down and I won't leave my computer until it's written. Like my last film I wrote in four days. I mean, I'm probably a little manic. So that's like, it kind of flows for me, but But I don't. That's phenomenal. Yeah. It's like, I will not stand up until it's done. So the truth is, is like only you are your gatekeeper. If you have this idea and it was whispered to you, then you have to do it. And there'll be a thousand excuses not to tone them out. And do it. Like, that's all you have to do. One foot in front of the other. It doesn't mean you know how to finance it. If you want it, you can create it. I mean, I'm living proof. Like, I, I say this. Five years ago, I was serving tables and the lead of my movie, who I hadn't offered out to, came in the restaurant. I'm like, God damn it, hiding in the back. Like, I'm about to meet this person next week and you're they're in my restaurant. I'm a waitress. I don't want them to see me as a waitress. I want them to see me as a director. So, like, the truth is, is like, I am no different than you. All of these people who are here doing what they love, they're no different. It's it's taking action. It's not waiting. No, it's never going to be easy. It's never going to fall into your lap. But do you have that burning desire? Do you have the strength? And do you sit down and actually do it? Fuck yeah. Oh my God, you're so inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I We have to end there. There's no, It's not going to get me better. Nadine, thank you for joining us. It's never going to be easy, and that's okay. How do we make that help us? How do we decide what is helping us? I think what is so powerful about Nadine is that she chooses to see the good in everyone and in everything. And she's right. She created this. She manifested it. She's post-it queen, sticking the post-its on all the mirrors. I mean, there is so much that we can learn from her. And we know that this is only the beginning. I'm so grateful that she took the time to talk to us about how she tells her stories and to share with us her personal journey through suicide prevention. Desperation Road, her movie with Mel Gibson and Garrett Headland is available on Amazon Prime and Roku or wherever you get your movies. And we will keep you posted on Continue and when it is released and how we can continue to donate and help support mental health. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. We have another great one coming for you next week. Until then, take care. 
Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions, hosted by me, Kayla Yule. Produced by Melissa DeMonts and Diamond Imprint Productions. Editing by Diane Kang. Post-production sound by Coco Lawrence. And production assistance by Melanie D. Watson. 